Hello and welcome to Fidelity Connects, a Fidelity Investments Canada podcast connecting you to the world of investing and helping you stay ahead. NFTs have skyrocketed in headlines for its million-dollar works of art and its imprint in the digital space. But what do NFTs or non-fungible tokens mean beyond the JPEGs making headlines? What does it mean for investors, financial service industries and society more broadly? Matt Twigg, Senior Manager and Lead Researcher at Fidelity Labs out of Tokyo, Japan, joins Colin Randall, Fidelity Canada Director of Research on the program, to provide his global perspective on NFTs. Matt discusses the new possibilities that blockchain technology presents to investors and the businesses that serve them. Firstly, Matt breaks down what NFTs are. Put simply, he says a token represents something for something else, something that has value. But non-fungible tokens also have scarcity attached to it as well. Blockchain technology facilitates these tokens and helps create its scarcity. Blockchain is a distributed ledger technology or record system. These tokens are tied to records in that ledger. Matt also provides real-life examples of NFTs in the marketplace right now. Most think of music and the art space, but NFTs can also apply to the healthcare industry. For example, NFTs can track medical supplies like PPEs or even vaccines. He also talks about the challenges and risks NFTs face, including market volatility, price swings, and mergers. This podcast was recorded on October 11, 2022. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect those of Fidelity Investments Canada, ULC, or its affiliates. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice. It is not an offer to sell or buy or endorsement, recommendation, or sponsorship of any entity or security cited. Read a fund's prospectus before investing. Funds are not guaranteed. Their values change frequently and past performance may not be repeated. Fees, expenses, and commissions are all associated with fund investments. Maybe we could start with some definitions. Um, Matt, could you tell us what exactly is a non-fungible token? Yeah, that's a great place to start, isn't it? So um, let me start with what a token is, at least for me, in a kind of storytelling way to make this make sense to everybody. There's a couple ways you can think of a token. A token essentially is something that represents something else. And we can think of it in different ways. For example, you can think of it as something intangible, made tangible. I like the story of, for example, if you here in Japan, if you visit someone's house, come for a visit, um, it's a kind of favorable exchange. And you may present somebody with a gift in exchange for visiting their home. That could be called a token of your appreciation. You're giving them a physical gift to represent that intangible thing of the appreciation for your, your visit time. That's one kind of a token that I think uh, touches on what NFTs are. Another kind of token I like to talk about is, for example, something um, probably all experienced when we were younger, game tokens. We went to arcades. Some of us may remember going to video game arcades when we were younger. You would exchange your money for a game token. It was virtually the same as the quarter you exchanged it for, but it wasn't. It was specifically for playing games. It was a token which gave you certain rights or access to play a game. Because they are exchangeable, those tokens, you can play any game you want in the arcade, they are fungible theoretically, right? But if that token only worked for Space Invaders, but not for asteroids, and only that Space Invaders game over there 
it would be non-fungible because you couldn't switch from any other token. So I think those are you know, some ways I like to think about to, to explain non-fungible tokens in a, in a real-world scenario. Um, you know, and at the end of the day, it's really something that represents something else, something that has value. And when we talk about non-fungible tokens, has scarcity to it. And I think those ways is, is an easy way to think about uh, what non-fungible tokens really are. So, so this is based on blockchain technology, and I guess that creates this ability to create scarcity. Um, and so to your point, um, what is non-fungible, what is not necessarily, I guess, exchangeable or, or uh, well, exchangeable for another token is being, uh, I guess, facilitated by blockchain technology. Is that correct? Right. So you take that, that model of, of those tokens, either the token of appreciation, the game token, and you extend it into the blockchain world. Do you have the blockchain, which is essentially a distributed ledger technology, which is a record system, and that now those tokens can be tied to records in that ledger. And because they can be tied to a specific instance in that ledger, a single and only instance in that ledger, that gives it value. Once you're connected to something and you're exclusively the owner of whatever that item is that's represented by a non-fungible token, that's where the value comes from. But another way to think about that is, for example, you have something that could be fungible, like um, let's take a, a photograph of your favorite actor or actress. Now, that photograph could be printed a million times. You can find the Internet. It has no real value on its own. It's fungible. But if you see them in person, they autograph it to you exclusively. They've endorsed it. They've kind of ledgerized it. There's only one in the world like that now. So just like something in a ledger with a single entry or an endorsed photo with a single signature on it, now you're using the blockchain technology to, to tie that record to a single point and give it that implied value. Right. Okay. So, so the blockchain really enables, I guess, uh, in one um, <clears throat> instance, the ability to define provenance of where something came from. Um, exactly. So, yeah. Whereas we can take an image off the Internet, you know, we could be copied an infinite number of times. What the blockchain technology enables is to show who ultimately is the owner of, the, of that image. Yeah, it's it's all it's all about the ledger. It's all about the record system, which is the, the real value of blockchain itself, right? It's an open ledger visible to everybody. Whatever is recorded in there, you know, can be read by everybody, and you can be seen as the exclusive owner of whatever this asset is, be it digital, physical, or otherwise. Right. So 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 with that <clears throat> non fungibility um, of NFTs, what are the kind of use cases that this can be applied to? Well, I think anywhere where, where, you know, exclusivity or uniqueness is usable and in terms of record keeping particularly is where NFTs are going to give value to the average person. So, you know, we know that the cases of NFT music or art, those are the ones we see in the media the most often. You may buy a picture of, you know, um, a board eight yacht club image or something like that. And you're the only exclusive record holder of that piece of art that may be valuable to some. But those very same me mechanics of the underlying blockchain record keeping, the, the ledgering, will allow you to tie other items, you know, to you exclusively, giving the the, bon the owner, creator, or otherwise, you know, a, a specific value through uniqueness. And that can be, again, it can be a piece of digital art, it could be a single piece of music, or it could be a part of a, a real estate invest investment, either in the, in the digital space or in the physical space, anywhere you can have that kind of ex ex implied exclusivity by a single ledger entry is where the value is going to come from with NFTs and underlies everything. 
So a number of the different types of use cases are actually uh, in place today. Could you give us some real-world examples of where NFT technology is being used in the marketplace right now? Yeah, so besides, the, like I said, the obvious ones around art and the, the creator economy, which I think is, is a great thing, I think has given a real opportunity for some people to, to get known and to get their pieces out there and be reimbursed for them. Um, amongst their friends directly. There's a lot of other uses for NFT type technologies utilizing uh, the ledgers and the record keeping therein. Uh, one of the cases I like to look at is um, what you may not think of is, you know, we saw in COVID things like medical supplies and, 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 uh, and medicines being transported around the world to take care of uh, the situations arising and mitigation needs. Now, where things are, where they came from, when they were manufactured, those can be difficult to track in a very complex and, and fast-moving situation. But NFT tracking, ledger entries of, let's say, PPE supplies or vaccines or any of the kind of medical or food supplies that are recorded on a ledger would instantly inform anybody looking at that ledger where something came from, how long it's been in transit, where it passed through, its origin. All those things can be technically NFTs because those are exclusive entries on a ledger. So NFTs can be can be anything when you want to track or keep note of something unique, and it could be a piece of art, or it could be you know a, va a vaccine. Well, that's excellent, and I think we, we there are huge efficiencies that can be realized through this you know open um, transparent ledger that you know anyone can access uh, theoretically, and we'll talk about that a little later on in in the show. But could we maybe take a step back and talk more sort of practically? How does one acquire an NFT today? Well, there's a few ways to acquire an NFT today. I think the most uh, well-known example would be go to, and again, we're talking about probably creator economy type NFTs, which are the ones most well-known. You go to one of the marketplaces such as OpenSea, and you can you can browse and see all the different kinds of art there, uh, all different kinds of there from the, the usual, you know, overpriced JPEGs or musical works or, or a large variety of, of created items. Um, but before you can acquire any of those, you have to have some Ether. Ether is the main currency for NFTs, especially in the art space. And that's the, the Ethereum blockchain's currency? Yes, exactly. I'm sorry. Yes, the Ethereum <laughs> blockchain currency. So, you know, if you're, if you're new to it, you have to go out and acquire some, some Ether, some Ethereum currency. You might want to do that any one of the, any one of the platforms that offer that. I think in the, in the States, for example, um, Coinbase is one of them in Japan. It's CoinCheck over here in the East. Um, you acquire some Ether. You put that in your digital wallet, and then you go to the marketplace, and you can buy things with that currency that you now have in your digital wallet. There are some things to consider with that. Obviously, the price of the Ether fluctuates, so you have to consider that, how much it's going to cost you. And also, any kind of transaction, because you're writing on an open distributed ledger blockchain that needs to be updated. Every time you have a transaction, there's going to be some overhead on that, and we call that gas fees a lot of times. So there's a little extra processing work has to be done above and beyond your purchase. And that's something to consider because more than half of the NFTs in the creator economy, at least that have been transacted, are under $200 a piece. So fees that you pay on these different platforms is something that a, a new buyer, for example, is gonna need to consider. Uh, one thing I like to mention, because I'm here in Japan, I mentioned Japan over here, we have unique arrangements getting set up over here with how to acquire NFTs. We have, I think I just mentioned, um, a vendor over here called uh, CoinCheck. Can. And that's that's a place you can buy and trade online currencies. And they have an arrangement now with, with a company called Animoca, which helps new creators get online and create the art, 
kind of like a broker for artists that brings them in to the coin check place and you can buy directly in that marketplace and keep leave them within that marketplace area you know they can retain it for you keep custody for you and you don't have to pay those gas fees unless you remove the yard from it which is a, a new experiment and i think it's turning out to be a, a fairly profitable one um, for the companies involved right now that's interesting so they're providing providing a service whereby they can facilitate a purchase um, of, an, of an NFT, but the gas fees, the cost of that purchase is only realized once the individual effectively takes the NFT to be their own directly. Is that is that correct? Exactly. And it's, it's turning out to be a good model because what's happening is CoinCheck, for example, is acquiring the NFT assets from Animoca, who helps the creators get their things into the marketplace, and then it works on that spread between what they bought it for and what goes to the customer to make their profits. And they can pass it on to the customer with you know, lower prices. And because the customer may choose in most cases to leave that NFT art in the coin check as their custody agent, they don't have to pay any gas fees to move things in and out because it hasn't actually had been updated on the chain yet. It's all within the, in the coin, desk, uh, coin check space. Right, right. Well, that's it's really interesting, and I've I've done some experimenting myself, and you know the self custody um, experience, I'd say, is still a little clunky. I, I think for most people, some would say you know it, it, it benefits to have some engineering background in in, in terms of some uh, experiences, and so having that provider that can provide sort of a trusted service in terms of that custodying those NFTs, it sounds like a really interesting uh, business opportunity. Um, maybe could we talk about are there are there sort of valuations um, that are currently available of how big the NFT market is today? Yeah, it's been it's been a tumultuous year, obviously, for, for all cryptocurrencies and blockchain related things. I believe the last numbers I saw as of about a month ago, early September, was an 11.3 billion market right now, still for NFTs, and that's still considerable. Thinking about how much things have downturned in this current crypto winter we're experiencing right now. And I think if you look at the end of 2021 projections, we're looking at um, like a 36% CAGR between now and 2025-ish. Those numbers probably need to be adjusted right now um, with the market down about 92 to 95% since January. Um, but with the, you know, the global market situation, volatile assets like uh, NFTs and others will get hit. Um, but again, I think, uh, you know, we can look at these valuations and they are what they are, but I think that this volatility has some some good in it. If, I, like, I like to think of it as I remember back during the, you know, the, the dot-com crash in 1999, 2000, when I was a young investor, and I remember things like pets.com and those kind of things crashing and burning. And there was some crash and burn, but out of that came so much great value. That's where we really got a mature Amazon and a mature Google, things like that. So I wouldn't be too upset about um, volatile valuations right now look at the technology itself and and what it can bring us and I think there's a lot there for nfts and we're just going to start to find out what the real value is that's interesting and I think it was just a couple weeks ago there was a sale of a crypto punk uh, it's called which is a profile picture and then you know and one of the original nft profile pictures that sold for four and a half million dollars so there is still there's still demand uh, for some there maybe more, some of the scarcer NFTs out there. Yeah, yeah, and that's it. It's all about scarcity, isn't it? So that that CryptoPunk has a has a value within a community, and NFTs are largely about community in the art space, and there's people within that community who are willing to pay that. 
Well, so, so you mentioned Ethereum as probably you know, the leading blockchain that NFTs are being built on today. Are there other blockchains that are moving into this space um, that have the same capabilities uh, to produce NFTs? And what are some of those capabilities that's required of a blockchain to, to underlie NFTs? Yeah, I mean, essentially, um, when you're looking at blockchains and you're comparing like the, the more well-known blockchain of Bitcoin versus Ethereum, the key differentiator of them is it's programmable. Um, and, and the key programming is a contract or a smart contract, which represents you know, your token. Actually, it says what your token is, who made it, who owns it, and actually points to where it's kept outside and off-chain. So technically, any blockchain that could carry that data could replace or, or supplant or augment Ethereum. Right now, there's other ones out there. I think um, the most popular one's probably Solana. Um, there's Cardano. Um, um, Binance itself has one as well. Uh, all these things are, you know, up and coming and being looked at as alternatives, largely because um, before the Ethereum merge, the, the costs might have been lower um, because they were, you know, layer two blockchains, which, should, which abstracted some of the work off the chain. Um, but still 90% is, is going to be in Ethereum. Right. And I guess, with, yeah, as you mentioned, with, with the merge that happened, and we can talk about that uh, in, in the show today, um, that's actually a, perhaps given advantage to Ethereum as the leading blockchain for, for NFTs. Um, and maybe that's, that's a great segue into some of the, the challenges and risks involved with mm. NFTs. Um, we talked about volatility. We talked about, you know, really the significant price swings that we've seen this year versus where we were just a year ago. <clears throat> we, maybe we could talk a little bit about some of the other risks and challenges that NFTs face, uh, resource consumption. Now, I think that's yeah. been mitigated recently uh, because of the merge, but could you talk, tell us a little bit about that? that uh, Absolutely, risk? yeah. So the the, uh, the merge happened fairly recently and went smoothly by all accounts. Uh, and one of the main benefits of that, of course, was resource consumption because that merge brought Ethereum from a state of work where proof of a blockchain, a block, is done by computational work, which takes energy, to proof of stake. The proof of stake doesn't require that energy. It's a stake. Like I tell people, like it's like putting your stake on the poker table. You know, you're 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 placing a bet on the table, and uh, and you know, instead of doing a proof of work to win to win a contest on computation, now you're winning you're winning uh, based on the stake you put forward. Um, and maybe to help people think about that one a little bit, another kind of story thing I like to think of for proof of stake to make it clear is instead of doing the computational work, think of it like um, uh, they probably still have these where they have like radio contests. You call up the radio station to get to answer some questions and, and win, a, win a prize. So many people will try to call in, you know, to, to get the radio station to receive them and, and enter that contest and answer some questions to win a prize. The same thing with staking. A lot of people put their stakes out there. One person will get selected and win that stake, and then they get the reward of some coins, but no actual computation work is happening. So energy has gone way, way, way down. And I actually looked at it just recently, how far that's come down. And there's some trackers out there. There's one called Digiconomist I looked at recently that tracks um, the various chains. And, for example, I think blockchain is running at about I think about 120 terawatts per year uh, for, for blockchain. Ethereum was 93 to 94 before the merge in mid-September. 
And if, if this is to be believed, Digiconomist, it dropped to zero the day after, just straight line down in energy consumption. So, I mean, that's obviously a huge advantage uh, for the energy consumption. And so that's, that's the Bitcoin blockchain um, proof of work you're comparing to the Ethereum blockchain now. Yeah, so just, just to, to have a comparison, the, the, the blockchain is 120 terawatts per year. Ethereum was 94. Post-merge, it's zero. Wow. So it, it gives you a, a sense of scale of how far you've come down. But it's, it's quite extraordinary. So I think a lot of people had concerns about NFTs being energy consumption hungry. I think that's not really a concern anymore. It's fascinating that one yeah. event can make such a, such a significant difference on, yeah. on that front. Now, um, some of the other challenges that NFTs mm -hmm. might face, you mentioned it earlier, gas fees uh, is yeah. another consideration. Uh, I'm not sure whether the merge affected gas fees quite as, as dramatically. Yeah, no, I think some people were partly expecting that because it's such a big deal, the merge. But I think we're going to see the real gains for gas fees when we get to sharding, which will come later, which will actually break up the blockchain into smaller pieces, which will reduce the amount of work required for each update. So right now, when you, when you transact an NFT, it has to be written to the blockchain, the whole blockchain, right? So it's, it's a lot of work. So that's why you pay the gas fees. When it's broken into smaller pieces, the, the updates will be smaller. I can think of it that way, smaller pieces. So there'll be less overhead and less gas fees for the consumer. So that's definitely a challenge that we'll, you know, mitigate in the future as well. There's, there's other concerns too we can talk about outside of these technological ones, I think interesting, but those are the two that most people think about, especially the energy consumption. Well, maybe, maybe we can shift over to sort of broader implications of NFTs for financial services, but, but for society as well. I think, you know, the, really the applications here are so broad. Um, it would be great to delve a little deeper into them. Uh, and you've written uh, pretty extensively in terms of different applications and what these might mean for, for you know, societal organizations and, as I say, for, you know, financial services. Can we talk a little bit about NFTs and community? Um, you know, it's early days, but, mm -hmm. uh, you know, you've written about how NFTs are increasingly being used as social identifiers. What do you mean by that? Yeah, I think um, this is where the promise of NFTs really lie. I think in, in utilizing, again, that, that blockchain record and a unique entry in that ledger, I think, you know, anything that can be recorded that way and be unique and be permanent and be visible and transparent is going to have tremendous value. So one of the, you know, the communities itself, you can think of, again, you, you mentioned the, you know, the Board 8 Yacht Club. That's a, that's a big one. One of the, the values that comes from that is when you buy that token, you don't just buy a picture, you buy entry into a community. So the NFT has not only, um, you know, NFT is basically a linkage. It has a linkage not only to the piece of the art, but it has linkage to access um, to special events that are part of a community, exclusive places where people can meet each other and do things. Um, so you can, you can layer many, many things in, into a single NFT that give the owner various rights. One of those things, of course, obviously, is identity. Um, and I think identity in the future is going to be something really interesting to do with NFTs. That can be identity as in, you know, personal identities. You can keep in your digital wallet if you want. Um, the NFT that says, you know, who you are could have maybe your school records or your medical records or could have a CV or anything you want to have in there that is indelible and visible as much as you want it to be, you know, to the community. So, you know, if you go for a job interview in the future or something like that, if you go to a hospital and check in, that and those NFTs could carry all of your data. And because they're on one distributed blockchain, you don't have to worry about, you know, incomplete records here or there and 
this is missing and that's missing and not synchronized, it'll be automatically done so. so I think there's a lot of value to that as well. I, I see a lot of promise in there. I think, um, you know, NFTs, people think of, of trading and, and selling and buying and creating. And, uh, and that doesn't really apply in this space, obviously, because your identity is your identity, right? So something that, um, uh, was talked about in the early days of, of, uh, of blockchain, Ethereum particularly, was soul bound tokens. I don't know if anybody's ever heard of soul bound tokens, but these are things that are, are NFT records that are not meant to ever be sold or exchanged hands. They're, they're bound to your soul. I think they're called SBTs for short, soul bound tokens. So these could be those personal identifiers, those medical records, those, you know, school records, whatever you want to keep, um, on a ledger that you don't have to ever worry about being lost or disrupted or, you know, difficult to find or share with people that you need to. Uh, so I think that, you know, these kind of things, that's where you're going to see the real value and the ability to record things on, on a public ledger and have, you know, NFT, which is essentially, a, you know, a pointer to that to be to be shared with whoever you need to for business purposes or otherwise. Yeah, it's, it's fascinating and to imagine sort of, you know, uh, there's probably many years in the future, but the, the whole uh, population of the world could could effectively use a distributed shared blockchain to to manage identity records, um, et cetera. Um, it's really, really fascinating. Could, could we talk a bit about uh, creator economy applications? This is another, I think, a really interesting um, space here where, as it relates to, say, works of art or music, um, royalties can actually be effectively coded right into the contracts, provide, say, an income stream to the creators over time. Um, can you talk a little bit about that application. Yeah, absolutely. I think that is is something that uh, is unique to NFTs in the marketplace for a creator. Previously, if, if a creator, um, for example, went, you know, we can go back to the initial value of NFTs for creators. They create the, the art, whatever it is, if it's you know, if it's graphic art or music or whatever, and they sell it directly to the buyer. There's, there's no middleman. There's no agent. Uh, previously, if you were a musician or something like that, would be an agent in the middle taking a cut. So you had to pay them. And then once it's gone, it's gone, right? But now when you create NFT, you know, the most, the, the best example probably that everybody knows about was the people one that sold for ungodly amounts not too long ago. But in that smart contract, it's con the NFT is a contract essentially. It, it was written that every time that's moved on, people is owned another 10% cut off of whatever it's sold for. So in perpetuity, he's basically set up a royalty system for himself without any agent needed to collect because it's in the blockchain. It is a smart contract. When the conditions are met of a, of a seller and a buyer, it'll trigger that 10% that will go back to people. I think that can be applied to anybody who wants to utilize NFTs as, as their, you know, as their mode of distributing their artworks. So I think that is a tremendous value to people. Not only is it removing the middlemen in the distribution system, but it's also ensuring that in perpetuity, they can get um, revenue from their artworks, which previously was not possible. Excellent. Well, maybe we can turn to some applications more germane to financial services. Um, NFTs, I think, are already uh, allowing access to both virtual and physical real estate um, today. Could you talk a little bit about this development? Yeah, this, again, is a fascinating area for me, and again, showing the real value of NFTs. Again, a non-fungible token, a record in a ledger, that points to a specific item that in this case is going to be definitely off chain, you know, unless it's a digital asset like digital real estate, but physical real estate, it's going to be a pointer. That's a record that's going to point to someplace off chain. Um, and that is a great application of real estate. For example, I think I read, um, 
uh, it might have been even last year already, there were already in California, there was an apartment that was, you know, purchased and sold and transacted on the ledgers as an NFT. So that NFT had all the records of that property in it. So when the NFT changes hands from, you know, seller to buyer, everything goes with that NFT and it makes it a very smooth, very easy transaction. You know, regardless of the property acquired, all the paperwork you have to do, all the research, all the record keeping is all bound into that NFT that moves with it. So in those single purchases like an apartment, it has great utility. Again, NFT utility is, is the real value, what it does for you, what it can be attached to the NFT. Another place that can be done is, you know, give investors an entry point into very large scale real estate projects they normally would have access to that might only be available to private equity. You know, say somebody wants to diversify their portfolio in real estate beyond REITs, they could go ahead and buy a fraction through fractionalized tokens in the NFT of some large new, you know, industrial complex. Or, you know, if they're going to put up another huge tower here in Tokyo, I could go ahead and own a millionth of a share of that building via NFTs. And then as the asset increases in value over the time, so will my share. Um, so NFTs in this case increase the liquidity of normally illiquid assets. And they also increase the accessibility. So the people who normally couldn't get access to these things because the point of entry was too high, now they're able to. And, and it allows people to gain access to new markets, new flexibility, new diversification, which is probably something a lot of people would value these days. Right. And so, so you mentioned the tokenization of real estate or a fractional ownership of real estate that's been effectively represented on a blockchain ledger. This can be... Uh, I, I believe applied across various different securities uh, in existing capital markets, and, and there are real benefits there as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, anything you can think of that has a, a large price tag that can be fractionalized and made more available to people um, is an excellent, you know, case study for NFTs. I mean, it goes into another um, area which you know I don't want to get too deep into um, decentralized autonomous organizations. But one thing in there was, you know, there, there was a DAO, Central Autonomous Organization, that wished to purchase a copy of the U.S. Constitution. Now, normally that would be far out of the range of any normal buyer, but by fractionalizing it with tokens in that organization, it allowed people, you know, accessible entry point. It also allows, you know, you can fractionalize sports teams, you know, billions and billions of dollars sports teams into small chunks that can make people. Um, able to access these investment opportunities that were previously impossible. But anything, it could be a building, could be a sports team, could be the constitution, could be a very, very expensive piece of art, could be anything you can imagine that could be a group ownership and fractionalized. Even NFTs themselves, the original very expensive ones, have been fractionalized. So now you have a thousand people who are part owners of a very expensive NFT that they normally couldn't access before. It's, it's fascinating. And, and the fact that it's, you know, it's such early days today will be really interesting to see how each of these applications kind of develop um, and uh, and mature over time as, as the technology continues to evolve and adoption uh, continues to increase. So that's about all the time we have for. We'll absolutely uh, love to have you back to talk about decentralized autonomous organizations uh, <laughs> and other other fascinating developments in this space. But again, thanks again for joining us today, sharing your insights on these very interesting and certainly constantly evolving uh, technology. Thank you so much. Great to talk to you again. Thanks for listening to the Fidelity Connects podcast. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to Fidelity Connects on your podcast platform of choice. 
And if you like what you're hearing, leave a review or a five-star rating. Fidelity mutual funds and ETFs are available by working with a financial advisor or through an online brokerage account. Visit fidelity.ca slash how to buy for more information. While visiting fidelity.ca, you can also find information on future live webcasts. And don't forget to follow Fidelity Canada on Twitter and LinkedIn. Thanks again. See you next time.